being together for the feast of Passover. Well, we've been going through, since putting sin out of our lives is the main focus of these days. The first day was, of course, the focus is Christ and all that he went through, beginning with Passover evening and all through the next day as he was crucified. But the main theme after that, for six days, the days of man, is putting sin out of our lives, because even though forgiveness is there, we're still prone to sin. So, we've seen now through the book of Exodus to this point, up to chapter 12, (coughs) how God called Moses ordained him to deliver Israel out of the land of Mitzrayim and the difficulties that he and Aaron went through, a little mix-up between Moses and God, which resulted in Aaron being the spokesman instead of Moses, and yet Moses was the primary man that God used and gave the words to Aaron to speak. So God used Moses, in that sense, in spite of himself, but Moses had great character and was a great servant of God, so God utilized him in any case. And Moses is held in very, very high regard throughout Scripture, not just back here. So, we've recounted how they went through, up to this point, nine different horrible plagues that basically destroyed the empire of Mitzrayim, their animals, their food, uh, had done great damage to them. And now we come down to chapter 12, and there is one last plague to go. But this chapter has an awful lot to do with the Passover and keeping it correctly. Uh, There are two great time periods in terms of the Passover. First comes the first Passover here in Exodus 12, where it was instituted and God set it all up. Uh, They sacrificed the lamb, of course, or the goat. And then we come to the New Testament and the sacrifice of Christ with some uh, changes in the symbolism but we continue to keep the Passover and unleavened bread (coughs) uh, in the spirit of the New Testament, not the Old Testament, where Christ has become the sacrifice, He has become the Lamb, and His blood and His flesh uh, are the new tokens of the Passover. Of course, He uses the bread because He is the bread of life, and unleavened bread, then, is what... Uh, we eat along with the blood. Anyway, let's pick it up in chapter 12 and see some of the instruction that is here and understand that much of what we did for decades, really, in Worldwide Church of God was incorrect and had to be modified. And I recently received an email from someone who gave an explanation that I don't think I had ever actually considered or thought through, and that is how Herbert Armstrong came up with the wrong uh, 
time period. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute as we come into this, but I, I, it was enlightening to me. Because undoubtedly we did it wrong after reading the scripture. But how did he come up with the conclusion he reached? And I, I think that's a very interesting thing to consider. So in chapter 12, <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, <clears throat> This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So this was, as we find in other places, the month of Abib or Nisan, uh, the first month after the spring equinox. And understand that in those days, uh, there were 12 30-day months, 360 days in the calendar year. That's how long it took the earth to go around the sun at that time. So the spring equinox and the first day of the new year were the exact same day. Uh, now we have a little different situation in that the equinox uh, does not usually have a new moon at the same time. We came, I think it was in 2015, within just a few minutes of it. And it was before, so we waited a full month and the Passover, uh, then, yeah, the Passover was, I think, on the 2nd of May in 2015, which is as late as it can get. <clears throat> but you have to follow the heavenly signals. So we're out of balance now with a 365 and a quarter year day, and we have to follow the heavens as closely as we possibly can. And the closest we can do is to take the equinox, the first new moon thereafter, and then the first sundown after that, and that's the first day of the first month of the new year. So here, uh, it would have fallen on the equinox. Anyway, he says, Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. Now, the Jews at times have uh, sacrificed one lamb for the whole nation. But the original instruction here was each household to take a lamb. And if they had a very small household, maybe just a husband and wife, they could combine with another household to have about the right number of people to eat a lamb during the night. I think he explains, yeah, he explains that next here in verse 4. If the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Does that take into account those who eat a little bit and those who eat a lot? I think it's basically talking about the number of people. <clears throat> anyway, this lamb was to be without blemish. Uh, Christ was without blemish, without sin. So they were to take a lamb that was all one color, uh, basically white. Although, once they roll around and get dirt and sand and everything in them, they're all kind of gray, but... No blemishes, in other words. Uh, nothing wrong with it physically, and apparently all of one color, no black, no brown. Uh, so, it was to be without blemish, and a male of the first year. Uh, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. <clears throat> we traditionally have always 
considered sheep or, or having lamb sometimes, not that we have to during the days of love and bread, but we don't take goats. Uh, with other symbolism in the Bible uh, about the sheep and the goats, the right hand, the left hand, and so on, and uh, the reputation of goats as being a bit of a, bit of a, rebe- a rebel or independent, <clears throat> the Bible speaks of the lambs as being uh, tender and humble and, and meek and different type of animal, and they are. Uh, but either sufficed, if it was a young one without blemish, and a male. Christ was a male. He was not transgender, and uh, God was not a female, although some will try to tell you that today. Uh, what's, the, what's the expression they use? God had a great day when she made the earth. <laughs> you know, it gets so ribald and crazy. Anyway, you selected it on the tenth day, and Christ went into Jerusalem, I believe it was on the tenth day, because God had selected him for the sacrifice. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Fourteenth day, uh, beginning of the fourteenth day. If it was sundown on at the end of the 14th, it would be the 15th, because the day starts at sunset. So if it's going to be on the 14th at even, it has to be <clears throat> on the beginning of the 14th day, not the end of it. The Jews have that messed up. They keep it on the 15th. But that's not what God told us. Now, I think here is where Herbert Armstrong began to have his difficulty. He could see clearly that you were to do it at the beginning of the 14th. Uh, and he saw that the Jews were doing it at the beginning of the 15th. So what he did was says, all right, we're going to have the Passover on the 14th. And then the Jews were keeping the 15th as the first holy day. So he didn't pay close attention to the rest of chapter 12 which talks about the 14th and everything that transpired on that day, he missed. So he wound up with an eight-day period of time because he could see that you should start it at the beginning of the 14th. But he didn't grasp that the 14th was a holy day and was the first Sabbath. So he kind of went with the Jews is what he did, by keeping the 15th, the beginning of the 15th is the night to be much observed, <clears throat> and then keeping the Sabbath <clears throat> on the 15th. So I think it was the, the dichotomy there between what he could see in the Scriptures about the 14th and what the Jews were doing, and he just kind of made a mistake there. And that's how we got an eight-day celebration instead of a seven. And we'll see here as we go through this once again that everything that was important essentially happened on the 14th. And the same was true in Christ's day. He kept the Passover with the apostles at the beginning of the 14th. And then he was killed on the next day, which Scripture clearly shows was the Jews' preparation day for the Jews' feast. 
the New Testament writers understood that the Jews were a day late. And they said so. It was the Jews' preparation day. Because they were going to keep the Passover that night. But that's not what Christ did. <clears throat> and so they say, well, Christ needed to be sacrificed before the Passover. Some people use that reasoning. Well, how could he keep the Passover with his disciples after he was dead? So he kept it on the 14th, just like the Scripture says. And then he died on the 14th before sundown. The Jews wanted to get him off the stake before sundown because their holy day, as John, I think, and maybe Luke put it, was about to begin. God's holy day was done. Christ, that was, that was the important day, the day he died. And that's why God set it up originally at the beginning of the 14th, is so Christ could celebrate it with his disciples and then die on the same day. And he set an example that we should follow in his steps. So the time that he did it with his disciples, the time we do it. And it fits with the Old Testament scripture. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, they'll kill it in the evening. Had to be at the beginning of the 14th in order to be on the 14th. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Uh, so there's the symbolism of Christ's blood. Uh, they put it around the doorpost so that when Christ came through at midnight, as he said he would do, and killed the firstborn, any house that had the blood smeared over and around the door would be spared. Just as we, if we are under Christ's blood, are going to be spared because the forgiveness for our sins is there. So the, the Old Testament symbolism fit the New Testament perfectly. Anyway, verse 8, They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So they were to eat the lamb, and they were to have unleavened bread beginning the 14th. Now, worldwide, we had unleavened bread with the Passover, and then we ate donuts and whatever all through the 14th. And when we got to the 15th, we put it out. That's not the way it is. Everywhere you go, Ezekiel, whatever scripture you pick, it says it's a feast of seven days, not eight. So they started the unleavened bread at the beginning of the 14th. And it is unleavened bread. Uh, some have argued and somebody wrote probably a hundred or two or three or four hundred pages as he's prone to do on any subject and tried to explain that the uh, word bread is not in the original Hebrew. So they, they ate unleavened, whatever. <laughs> uh, it didn't need to be in the Hebrew. It's very clear that they're talking about bread. They had their kneading boards on their shoulders as they left because they didn't have time to let it rise. Let what rise? Apples? Oranges? Fish? Beer? No. 
Air? No. All through, it's unleavened bread. An eating trough is only used for bread. It isn't used for other things. And Christ said He was the bread of life. That His flesh represented bread. So if there's any confusion over the Hebrew, uh, the context answers it very, very clearly that we're talking about bread here, not anything else. Uh, There are yeast spores in the air. So you should quit breathing for seven days if Frank Nelty's paper was true. Now let me tell you something about Frank Nelty. I'm going to be very plain here. He can be very, very right at times, but he can also be very, very, very wrong at times. He is a false, ungodly teacher. I do no longer consider him a minister of God. And I'll tell you why. And he was closely affiliated with us for a while. He made a very clear statement when he visited us in Canab one time, where he said, and I quote, and a lot of people were upset by it, He says, we have to learn to think above the Bible. We have to learn to think above Scripture. That gives me cold chills just to think of the implications of that. The Bible is the Word of God. And when you say that you have to think above the Word of God, you are literally saying your thinking is higher than God's thinking. That's what you're saying. I have a great deal of trouble thinking up to Scripture. And I cannot think above Scripture. When you say that, you're saying you're God. You're making an idol of yourself. If you think you can think higher than the thoughts of God. What does the Bible say? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You cannot think above God or above His Word. Now that is a false teaching. And it is an abominable false teaching. And I'll tell you something else he said. When considering the order of the Passover, it became very clear to us that we were to have the bread and the wine before the foot washing. We had done it the other way around in Worldwide, and it just hit me one night when we were doing Passover up in uh, Zion Park. Some of you here will remember that. And I read that in the book of John. And it struck me so hard, and I didn't have all the reasoning for it. It struck me so hard that Neil Roten was sharing the Bible study with me, that, or the Passover with me that night, and I called for a recess. And I took Neil back in behind the wall, and I showed him that scripture, and I says, we've been doing this wrong all these years. So I went back out and told everybody what I had seen, 
I said, I'll study it some more, but it's very clear to me we've been doing this backward. And we're going to change it right now. And you cannot believe the power of the wind. The wind wasn't blowing. A powerful wind virtually shook that concrete building. It was so powerful. And then it died. I think God was showing us that that was the correct interpretation. I have no doubt about it. And then when we studied it out in great detail later on, it became very, very clear that the wine and bread should come before the foot washing. And it solved a problem that the church had had for many years, where every once in a while somebody would come up and say, did the minister wash his... Uh, hands before he handled the bread and the wine after washing feet. Solve that problem. Now you have the bread and the wine, then you wash feet. But here's the point I'm driving at. Frank Nelty heard about, read about, I think I sent him the Passover papers, and he came out and said that you cannot believe Luke's story because he was not an eyewitness. In other words, you have to throw out the book of Luke. If you retain the book of Luke, you have to have the bread and the wine before the foot washing because he very, very clearly shows that. So instead of accepting what the Bible, the God canonized, that Luke wrote, Frank said, Throw out the book of Luke. Because Luke wasn't an eyewitness. You read the first chapter of Luke. Luke says, I very, very carefully interviewed everybody that was there that night and got the story straight. And God put it in the Bible. Now there's a very stern warning at the end of the book of Revelation that we are not to take from or add to the Bible. And I've shown you two clear examples where Frank Nelty throws out the whole Bible. Get it? When you say you have to think above Scripture, you're saying your thoughts are higher than the whole Bible. Isn't that clearly what's being said? So if you can go by your thoughts instead of the Bible, I don't think you can call yourself a minister of God. You're not rightly dividing the word of truth. There's another scripture in here which very clearly shows, is it Deuteronomy 16? Yeah, I believe it is. Very clearly shows that there's seven days total. And it says that you killed the lamb on the first day. You know what Frank said about that? Said the Jews must have messed with that chapter. John Rottenbaugh said the same thing. Jews must have messed with that chapter. No, it fits Exodus 12. So some men, when they disagree with what Scripture says, will throw out Scripture. You know what? I'm not going to read anything they write. 
Because I know that they're coming at it from the wrong premise. And I don't think I'm out of line at all when somebody throws out Deuteronomy 16, they throw out Luke, the whole book, and then they throw out the whole Bible and say, we've got to think higher than this. they got nothing to say to me. I'm done. I talked about the calendar with Frank Nelty a great deal because he had written hundreds of pages about the calendar. And I learned that he had no understanding whatsoever about how the calendar in the heavens works. And when we got together and had a meeting on the calendar, he said, and I quote again, and this was directly to me, we have decisions to make. We have to decide how the calendar should be. The calendar is in the heavens. All you have to do is understand how it works. You don't have decisions to make. Just do what it says. The Jews make decisions about it. I don't like what the heavens say, so I'll postpone it a day or two. Can't do that. Do what it says. Now, I'll add one other thought to this. The Apostle Paul says not to strive over words. You know what the main body of Frank's works and the thousands of pages he's written about various subjects is? Hebrew and Greek words. Those are the things he uses the most. You know what is the best way to understand what the Bible is saying? It's not Greek and Hebrew words. It's context. It's context. The context here, as we'll see in a moment, is about bread. Kneading troughs that they hung on their backs because they didn't have time to let the bread rise. It doesn't have to have bread in the Hebrew because the context tells you very clearly we're talking about leavening and bread. I'll issue a challenge. I'm going I'm to experiment with this. I'm going to get me some apples and some oranges, some eggs, some whatever else, beans, potatoes. I'm going to get me several different food products. And I'm going to put baking powder and baking soda on them. And I'm going to leave them overnight. And I'm going to see how big an apple is come morning. I'm going to see how big an orange is come morning. A potato. Uh, what else do we want to use? A turnip? I'm going to see how much bigger they get overnight. I don't think they'll change in the least. These are the days of unleavened bread. Very clearly throughout the whole context, Christ did not say His body was the uh, rutabaga of life. It was the bread of life. So if there's any question of the Hebrew at all, it's explained very clearly by Christ as being unleavened bread.
He is the bread of life. You eat popcorn during the feast? It pops. But it doesn't rise. Are these the days of unleavened popcorn? I don't think so. They're not the days of unleavened bread either. I mean of, of unleavened beer, excuse me. Frank tried to say that since there's yeast in the air, he didn't take it that far that you can't breathe. He wasn't going to go quite that far. But he took it almost that far. These are the days of unleavened bread. All through the Bible, that is the case. So you can strive over your Hebrew, and you can strive over your Greek, and you can listen to guys who are not ministers of God. They are apostate. I hadn't put it in those terms, even in my own mind, until this moment. Frank Nelty is an apostate from God. You can't throw out Scripture and not be. I don't trust him on anything anymore. And certainly not on this subject right here, because the context is a lot more important than the Hebrew. The Hebrew doesn't get messed up when it says they carry their kneading boards on their back. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty clear statement. You can strive on words and miss out on the kingdom of God. You can leave out words, you can leave out books, you can leave out the Bible and miss out on the kingdom of God. That's scary territory to go into. So they're to eat it with unleavened. And the translators of the Bible understood very clearly we're talking about bread here. <laughs> So if it's not in the Hebrew, they got the right word in there because the context shows it. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. They fed Christ bitter herbs uh, when he was on the stake. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, speaking of the lamb, not the bread, his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. Maybe I'll get a little piece of lamb and put some baking soda and powder on it too and see if it rises overnight. Give us a break. You shall let nothing of it remain till the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning shall you burn with fire, just like you would a burnt offering. And Christ is the offering for us. So it was to be consumed that night, even as Christ's Passover and his death was done wholly in one day on the 14th. And we recognized that in Worldwide, didn't we? We went ahead and ate our donuts, and while we were going about our business and our daily life, we would think, well, this is the time that Christ is being crucified. This is, he's being tortured right now while I drive nails. Uh, he's, he's being killed right now while I dig a ditch. Something wrong with that picture. And it used to bother me some. I, well, you know, what's the deal here? How can we out be working when he was going through what he was going through? And eating donuts while he was dying. It didn't make sense. It doesn't fit Scripture. We're going to see that here in a minute. 
Anyway, his sacrifice all occurred on one day, and it is a whole sacrifice for us. And we are to eat of it now on Passover night, uh, the wine representing the blood of the Lamb, and then the bread representing Christ whose body is considered in that Passover the bread of life. So when they were eating the Lamb and the unleavened here, it was bread just like in the New Testament. Same symbolism as His body. And you cannot get away from that. He gave them bread and wine. His body, His blood. says it right there very clearly in Matthew 26, and we go back and read it as we do it. So, clearly this meant the Lamb being representing Christ in His death, uh, the blood for sin, and the New Testament makes it very clear that His body represents the bread of life, and that bread, that body, represents healing for us because of the suffering that He went through. So we're talking about bread here, okay? Verse 11, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because He would pass over. And He said He would come at midnight, and the firstborn who did not have the blood would all die. And there was not a house in which no one died. We'll see that later on. So, they were to kill it at sunset, roast it immediately, and then consume it, and they were to be ready to go at a moment's notice. Now, we're picturing here coming out of sin. And at midnight, when those firstborn died, young and old, there was a great cry throughout all the land, and Pharaoh immediately said, Get out or die. It was a death sentence to stay. Get out now. Now, they had been instructed to stay in all night, hadn't they? But there was an exigency, a change in the plans. And that was already considered. Christ had told them ahead of time, I think it was chapter 11, to be ready because He would come through at midnight. And then He told them, you be ready to go. Don't be sitting there in your house slippers. You, you be all dressed up, have your staff in your hand, and be ready to go as soon as you hear. Now that sounds like Matthew 24. Don't go back into your house to get anything. Uh, go now, or you will die. So the New and the Old Testament fit perfectly together. So they were be, to be ready to go. And we'll see here in a moment. When that cry came at midnight, uh, they had to go right now. Now, in Worldwide, we kind of thought they tarried till morning, and then they spoiled the Egyptians, and then they got to, what was it, Ramses by sundown that night, and there they had a night to be much observed. Great big party. Go to Pizza Hut and have beer and pizza, and, <laughs> and it just doesn't work. Not Pizza Hut, I guess. That was leavened. Uh, well, you could pass overnight. 
Because we didn't have to put it out. I remember going to Pizza Hut one night after Passover. My wife and I hadn't had dinner. <coughs> so we looked around for something to eat. We went to Pizza Hut. Had some nice big, probably thick crusts on it. Maybe the, the, the that type of crust. I don't know. Even the thin stuff's leavened. No, we were just simply wrong in all that we believed all those years. And Gloria wrote that up in an in a email which for somebody to explain and send it to me as a courtesy. And I thought, that's what Herbert Armstrong did. It made sense. He saw it was the end of the 13th, beginning of the 14th, and then he saw what the Jews were doing and just followed along with it. And he lost the 14th. He just lost it. He wasn't denying Scripture like Frank does on purpose. He just didn't understand. He didn't really grasp what 12 was saying. He just said, the Jews must be right, except for this. So I don't think he really studied it out. Anyway, he says, be ready to go. It's the Passover. For I will pass through the land of Mitzrayim this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Mitzrayim, I will execute judgment. I am the eternal. Now, I don't think I made the point. I've done it before. But most of those plagues, these nine that we've seen so far, had to do with Egypt's gods. They worshipped the river. It turned to blood. They worshipped frogs. How would you like to have the frog god? They worshipped them. And then they got inundated with their gods. And they said, take our gods away from us, our, our frogs. Take the blood out of our god, the river. I mean, on and on, that symbolism is there that God used their own gods against them. And here he says, I will overcome the gods of Mitzrayim. And I will execute judgment. All the magicians of Mitzrayim weren't going to be able to kill all the firstborn. <laughs> you know, their, their capacity to, to do miracles stopped after the third day, as I recall. And they weren't about to do this. So this was a night that sealed almost the destruction of the empire of Mitzrayim. It wasn't completely sealed yet. We've got to get to the Red Sea first, where their armies are destroyed and Pharaoh loses his life. So sin still had a grip, just as it does on us even after Passover. Anyway, going on, he says, I am the Eternal. What was, what was Moses supposed to call him? I am. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Mitzrayim. So that fits perfectly with the New Testament that we are to be under the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. And that's the only salvation, it's the only door is Christ that we can go through into the sheepfold of God. And if you do away with the Bible, you do away with Christ. You've got to think above the Bible, remember? You know what? That's kind of what Satan tried to do, isn't it? Didn't he try to think above God? 
Ultimately, that's what he was doing, was thinking, or thinking he was. He thought he was thinking above God. My thoughts are higher than God's thoughts. I don't need God's word. I don't need his commandments. I don't need to do what God tells me. I'm going to take over because I'm better equipped and I think better and a better ruler than God is. That was Satan's whole attitude. And when you say you can think above God, you are in satanic, demonic territory. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. And I don't mean to be knocking anyone in particular, except that uh, there are people who listen to Frank Nelty. And they need to understand where that man's coming from. And he is not of God at this point in any way. He's no better than a worldly commentator. And they come up with some truth sometimes. You better be careful where you tie your kite. Verse 14. And this day shall be to you for a memorial. Now, which day are we talking about? Beginning of the 14th. End of the 13th. Leviticus 23 makes it very, very clear. I'll flip back there when it's talking about the Day of Atonement. Uh, Verse 32, speaking of it, It shall be to you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at the evening, from even to even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. And he says back here, in verse 27, it is on the tenth day of the seventh month. So the tenth day is the day of atonement. But he says you celebrate it in the ninth day in the evening. So it is at the beginning of the tenth. That's how God counts. Very clear here. You don't need to get into, uh, what are those words, Bokur, back harem, or whatever they were, Boko Harim, or all of that stuff. Into, I don't care what it is. Uh, I'm saying this facetiously. I've got it written here in my margin. We don't need to strive over the Hebrew words. There's a plain statement of Leviticus 23, how God counts the day. There are even parts of the, what was, Worldwide Church of God who say you begin the day in the morning. It's sunup. And they believe that's when you start the Sabbath. Saturday morning. And they got some crazy explanation for Leviticus 23 and try to say it doesn't mean what it says. That's very plain English. Very plain Hebrew. You don't need to strive over Hebrew words. By example, it is very clear. So, we find here there's not been a change in days. We had the Passover. Then we're talking about Christ coming to kill the firstborn. And the only day that's been mentioned so far is the 14th. This day, the 14th, shall be for you a memorial. Did we keep it as a memorial? No, we kept it as a work day. (laughs) That's that's all it was, was a work day. 
A memorial is what? A memorial is something you celebrate because of some event that occurred. What event occurred on the 14th of Nisan, or Abib? Christ died on the 14th. That's very clear. Even the Jews, if they admit Christ at all, will admit that. But they keep the Sabbath on the 15th. But he died on the 14th. That's very, very clear. He kept at the beginning of the 14th, and he died after being tortured that night the next day. And that is the memorial we are to keep, is the death of our Savior. <laughs> Not some party the next night where we eat, drink, and be merry. No, this is sober. This is a memorial. What do we have when somebody dies? Memorial services. And you shall keep it a feast. Not just a memorial, it is a feast. Hasn't changed, still the 14th, to the eternal throughout your generations. And then it says it again. You shall keep it a feast by a law, an ordinance, forever. So it's a memorial and it's a feast. I stated that at the beginning of the Passover paper. And people read it and said, no, it doesn't say that. Do they look? <laughs> Did they look? How plain can you get? Just because worldwide did it some way doesn't mean it was right. They counted Pentecost wrong for a lot of years because that's what Herbert Armstrong didn't understand a word again. Is this counting from or after? Now, it makes it very, very clear in Scripture without having to worry about whether you count inclusively or exclusively. It says, count 50. Count 49 days. Seven Sabbaths times seven Sabbaths. When Sabbath? Just Saturday, isn't it? Seventh day. Seven times seven is 49, and you keep Pentecost on the 50th. That explains it. In plain, simple terms. You don't wait 49 days and then skip a day and keep it on Monday. <laughs> it's just that simple. So the argument about which Hebrew scholar says exclusive and which says inclu inclusive isn't worth a hill of beans. It doesn't make any difference. Because the example is, context again is, very clear. Seven Sabbaths times seven is 49, and keep it the next day on 50. Not 51. Who needs the Hebrew there? I don't. Very clear. So this is talking about the 14th. It's a feast forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses... For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day till the seventh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. Total of seven days, not eight. You don't keep eight. Let me flip back just for a moment to Deuteronomy 16. This is Scripture, remember. Deuteronomy 16. 
Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Eternal your God. For in the month of Abib, the Eternal your God brought you forth out of Mitzrayim by night. They didn't go out by day, staying in their houses until daylight. They were to stay in their houses until the danger came, and then they were to flee, and that happened at midnight. And it says very clearly here, they left by night. As soon as they got word from Pharaoh, right after midnight, they fled. And they spoiled the Mitzrayimites as they went. Because those people were so upset and so afraid, because every house had a dead body in it. And gold and silver didn't mean anything to them at that point. Here, take it. Just go. Take anything you want. Get out of here. It was haste, and it was still at night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Eternal your God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Eternal shall choose to place His name there. So they were to continue to sacrifice the Passover. You shall eat no leavened bread with it, They weren't to eat it with the Passover. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction, for you came forth out of the land of Mitzrayim in haste, that you may remember the day when you came forth all the days of your life, and there shall be no leavened bread seen with you in all your coasts seven days, (coughs) Neither shall there be anything of the flesh which you sacrificed the first day at even. Remain all night until the morning. Seven days total. (coughs) And the first day was the day they sacrificed the lamb. Very clear. The first of seven. Not sacrifice the lamb, skip a day, and then keep seven more. Doesn't say that. (coughs) You know what? Frank and John and some of those people know this. They read this, and they understand what I just said. They read it, and they understand it, that that's what it says. There's no question in their mind what it says. That's why they say a Jew had to mess this up. It isn't the Word of God, it's the Word of a Jew. Because it does not agree with what they think Exodus 12 says. So it's not a matter of misunderstanding. It's a matter of saying this isn't part of the Bible. Because it very clearly says in chapter 12... Speaking of the 14th, it's a memorial and it's a feast forever. Seven days, not eight. Because we were instructed to eat unleavened bread on the first night, right? So how could, how could we eat unleavened bread, then eat leaven, and then stop again? Doesn't make any sense at all. But it says here, in Deuteronomy 16, you kill the lamb on the first day. Here, the first day in Exodus 12 is a feast and an ordinance forever. And, he goes on to say, and makes it even more so in verse 16, And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation, a Sabbath, a commanded assembly. 
So it's a memorial. It is a feast. And it is a holy convocation. The first day. Now if you're going to explain that any other way, you've got to get rid of Deuteronomy 16. Throw it out of the Bible. Because it says the same thing. <laughs> Did a Jew mess with Exodus 12 too? Have they messed with the whole Bible? Is it the Word of God? If this is not the Word of God, we might as well all go home right now. Now, I understand there are some mistranslations. I understand a couple of things were added. But woe to those that added it. You better be very, very careful in saying you can throw out Luke, you can throw out the whole Bible and think higher than that. That's blasphemy. That is utter blasphemy. So the first day, the day Christ died, is a commanded holy convocation. What day is more important than the day Christ died? I mean, how could you ever begin to just pass over it, look, over, look beyond it? There's only one other day that even comes close, and that's atonement. And it was a holy day, and in some ways might overpower and be more holy in that sense than even Passover, because it represents the time when we become totally at one with Christ. Passover did not make us totally at one. Forgives their sins, and we have to continue to put them out, is what the other six days are about. But atonement represents a completion. Now, I don't think you can really say one of those days is more important than the other, because if you don't have the beginning with Passover, you'll never get to the completion. So those days are pretty much equal. And we didn't even consider them it important. Just another work day. Have a sandwich and a donut and go to work. Nah, that, that can't be. Logically. I mean, just logically thinking, that simply cannot be, can it? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Used to bother me. I read Exodus 12 back when, I think I said that, in the Passover paper in a sermon. Back in the... My first years in the ministry in Miami, back in the 60s. I read through here before Passover one year, and I was having trouble understanding this. I thought, well, this is what we're doing, and this doesn't seem to fit. I, I, clear back then, I thought, this, this is odd. And then, and then I thought, well, those men in Pasadena are a lot smarter than I am. And uh, they must understand it better. It just must be in my feeble brain. I can't quite get. I don't understand it. But I think God was beginning to show me even then there's something haywire here. And then somebody pointed it out just a few years ago. And when I looked at it, I said, that's the way it is. Well, maybe I'm losing the story here by reproving the Scripture, but we need to be right. <laughs> and I don't think it hurts us to go over this again after we believe one way for 30, 40, 50 years. We need to, we need to really grasp uh, that we were wrong. Anyway, it's a holy convocation the first day. 
and no manner of work shall be done, and it says the seventh day is the same. Well, we kept the first and the seventh day, but we started a day late. Anyway, verse 17, And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your people, your armies, out of the land of Mitzrayim. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. When did they come out? They left their homes, started the journey, right after midnight, beginning of the 14th. When do you start a journey? When you leave your home. That's when you start your journey. You may stop at the first motel if you're tired, but you started your journey when you walked out, locked the door, got in the car, and left. That's when you started. That's when this started. Self-same day. It is to be observed. He goes. He says it more than once as an ordinance forever. He's trying to get it across to us. Now he says in verse 18, In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, again, and Leviticus 23 shows that you start uh, at the end of the thirteenth, beginning of the fourteenth, just like you at atonement, end of the ninth, sundown begins at the tenth. So you do it at the beginning of the fourteenth, you shall eat unleavened bread. You start eating unleavened bread at the beginning of the 14th. Until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. Not including the 21st day. Until the 21st day at even. When is the first 21st day at even? Beginning of the 21st. You eat unleavened bread until the beginning of the 21st. Not the end of it. Again, Leviticus 23 describes how to count the days very clearly. So count it. 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th. That's seven days. So until the beginning of the 21st. That's pretty clear to me. Then he goes on to say, you do it at the beginning of the 14th till the beginning of the 21st. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. So, those seven days, the beginning of the 13th to the beginning of the 21st. For whosoever eats that which is leavened. Now, it says here leaven. Seven days shall there be no leaven. It doesn't say bread, does it? No leaven found in your houses, for whatsoever eats that which is leavened. So that's saying it is not just having a can of baking soda in the house. You're not to eat what is leavened. It is puffed up bread that represents sin. Where is that? 1 Corinthians 6. Five, I think it is. First Corinthians five. <clears throat> okay, verse seven. 
Your glorying is not good. Well, let's go back to verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What is a lump? It's a loaf. Lump of bread. Loaf of bread. Call it what you want. It's about bread. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, a new loaf, a different loaf. As you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And he said he was the bread of life, not the baking soda, not the baking powder, uh, not the yeast. He was the bread of life. You can put wheat out, leave it overnight, and it won't rise. It'll still be sitting there. Now, if you grind it up and put some leavening agent in it overnight, it will rise. And it is, he says, here, let's read on. As you were unleavened, for even Christ our Passover sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, my uh, margins has bread in italics there, uh, showing that it apparently was not part of the uh, Greek either. But what are we talking about here? A leavened lump. Again, it represents the bread. We read quite a bit about the bread of life the other night at the Passover service. You know what? Israel carried their leavening with them. When they left, they carried their leavening with them. A lot of Church of God people wouldn't admit that. What was the problem? They were to leave in haste, and they did not have time to let it rise. It would take overnight for it to rise so they could bake it and eat it in the morning. So they may have already mixed it but it had not had time to rise. That's the key, is a product that rises overnight, or however long it takes, for bread to rise. And that leavening goes throughout the whole lump, and the whole lump rises. It is part of the process of making bread out of grain. You can sprinkle baking powder on some wheat kernels. Leave it on. Let's use that one in our experiment. You can sprinkle it on one of those wheat kernels. Leave it overnight. And that wheat will be the same shape it was. And it won't be puffed up come morning. It had leaven all over it. Not until it is ground and mixed with a, an agent that makes it rise is it leavened. So you can say, this is a leavening agent, that's a leavening agent, this is a leavening agent. Doesn't make any difference. Until it's combined, it can't get puffed. Unless you're combined with the word of Satan or carnal nature, you will not get rise up in pride in human nature. 
Nobody did until Satan became unleavened with pride. He got all puffed up in vanity and took over, or tried to take over, God's throne. So why did Christ come and say, we'll have unleavened bread? Because it represents, if it's leavened during those days, it represents pride, human nature, ego, and all those things. Puffed up in our own importance. And this time is to humble us so that we're not puffed up. And I don't care what leavening agent you use or talk about, unless it's mixed with bread dough, it is not leavened. It isn't puffed up. Including wheat. So, seven days there shall be no leavened, and you can put bread in there because the whole context is talking about bread. You didn't put apples on an eating trough. You didn't put beer on an eating trough. You put flour on an eating trough, mixed with water, and probably in those days sourdough, uh, because they didn't have our chemical baking powder and baking soda. And it would rise in time. And that was the whole point. Don't get puffed up like Satan did. But during this period of time, it represents sin. Now the rest of the year, leaven represents the kingdom of God. There's a scripture in Matthew that says that. So it's only for those seven days that puffed up bread is wrong. The pride of Satan is opposed to the humility of Christ. That's what it's all about. Doesn't have anything to do with bread. I mean with the beer. Doesn't have anything to do with uh, popcorn. Doesn't have anything to do with eggs or whipped cream. You can put baking powder on eggs and they'll look the same in the morning. Just crack one, leave it on the cabinet. Throw some leavening on it. You won't have a you won't have a puffed up egg in the morning. I haven't tried it, but I, I just I just know that that's the case, and I think I will try it. Now, if you try to make something look leavened, there's an attitude problem. You know, if, if you whip and stir eggs or you whip and stir cream or you whip and stir something to make it light and fluffy so that you're getting a leavened effect, it's still not leavened, but your attitude is leavened. So you don't do things to try to replicate it. But even if you do whip it up, that doesn't make it leavened. It will not rise on its own. That's something mechanical you're doing to it. The Scripture is talking about something that rises of itself when combined with flour and water and whatever other ingredients you wish to put with it to make whatever kind of bread you want to make. The Bible does not say anything about matzos. It doesn't say what kind of bread you make. They made bread out of barley. They made it out of rye. They made it out of wheat. You make cornbread. 
you use all kinds of grains, all kinds of products in bread, it is the leavening agent combined with the dough that is the problem that rises and creates uh, a symbolism of vanity and ego and pride. That's the whole point. So I'm going to continue to breathe, God willing, through all seven days. And if I take some yeast into my lungs, and I am right now, I don't think my lungs are going to swell up and pop overnight. And I don't think breathing is going to affect my attitude. Not breathing would affect it fairly quickly. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's not look at so much at a tree we can't see the forest. Let's not look at Greek and Hebrew so much we can't see context and clear, logical, simple meaning. Where is the simplicity in Christ in 150 pages, Frank Melty writes? You get so mixed up reading 150, 200 pages of his writing, you don't know up from down. And you know what? Neither does he. Because he comes up with the wrong conclusions a lot of the time. Whether it's calendar or leavening or whatever else. Sometimes he'll come up with the right conclusion. But then so did Haley's Bible handbook. You know, so did James Fawcett and Brown commentary. But when you throw the Bible out, you've put yourself in a whole different plane of thinking. And that's, that is downright scary. Where was I here? Uh, seven days, verse 19, and I'm over time. Shall there be no leaven found in your houses for whosoever eats that which is leavened? So it's a product that you eat that is leavened. What's the product we're discussing? Bread. That's the context all the way through the Old and the New Testament. Can't get away from that. So forget about your leavened prunes and popcorn. Even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened. And the context, again, is bread, whether the Hebrew says it or not. Uh, let's stop then at verse 21. Uh, we've gone a bit over. That's okay, too. You don't have anywhere to go except home. We're over here to the snack bar. Yeah, George had a question. Well, I just, just pointed out that, that, that in verse 15 that you, that you cover, 